National and global politicians, activists, and thought leaders have cited growing religious persecution as one of the preeminent threats of our time. Authoritarian regimes have denied the political rights of those who do not hold the same religious beliefs of the majority faith or the state. The COVID pandemic has brought this even more into the spotlight as certain regimes refuse aid to religious minorities. In some countries, imprisonment and physical oppression of religious minorities is commonplace. Particularly in non-Western countries, Christians face real threats every day in one form or another. In many of these contexts, claiming to be a Christian is virtually a death sentence. For many legitimate reasons, all of this should be troubling. There are those in America who claim that Christians are experiencing religious persecution in a country that upholds religious liberty. That if we aren't already in the midst of persecution, we are experiencing the first ripples of what will eventually grow into a tidal wave of religious persecution we already see in other countries. The removal of the Ten Commandments from courthouse grounds, the flagging of social media posts, the prohibition against school prayer in public school settings, and others are cited by those troubled by the asserted persecution against Christians. The height of last year's pandemic has exacerbated the issue as religious bodies were prohibited from holding congregational meetings and instead, for those who are able to, hold services virtually. Many Christians and churches claim to be the target of government oversight and oppression, a claim that is still made by many even as restrictions are beginning to lift across the country. At the same time, there are those who deny that the American church is under religious persecution at all. For them, much of the purported persecution is simply part of the growing pains as America has and continues to become more religiously diverse. What should we think about these issues? Is the American church making claims of persecution that are unfounded, or is this something we should truly be worried about? Is the Christian church in America under religious persecution, or is it in need of a reality check? All that and more on this edition of Questions from the Future. Questions from the Pew, the intersection of faith and culture. We're a forum for the discussion on the issues that are ruminating in the minds of churchgoers, but that are often not raised from the pulpit. Too long has the church shied away from grappling with tough questions and nuanced issues. We're your hosts. I'm Ray Gonzalez-Meta. I'm Lucas Manning. Hey, here we are. It's great to see you. Welcome back. Season yes. 3, episode 3. Yes. So happy to have you here with us in virtual time and space. <laughs> Interesting uh, topic today, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Especially coming out of uh, what has been a, a rocky season, or maybe some people would say we're not out of it yet. Sure. Um, not fully out of it yet, but sure. hopefully we, we've at least seen the light at the end of the tunnel. Absolutely. Yeah. It feels like we're drawing to the close of this pandemic season, yeah. era, age. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah we're calling um, this episode, uh, what are we calling it? Christian persecution, reality or reality check. Ooh, hot take. (laughs) Incredible title (laughs) written by Riker. (laughs) Don't want anybody to think the way that I stated it. It seemed like I came up with it. (laughs) Basically, anything that's creative on this, just just a tribute to Riker, and then you're probably safe. No, no, no. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's an interesting topic. Um, I mean, I heard it a lot growing up just in my church. Um, it was always, I mean, even from the pulpit, but also just like in conversation, like the church was always under attack from something. Mm-hmm. Um, whether that was just, you know, kind of the wider culture, um, definitely the media. Uh, I mean, there's, I think it's kind of American to have a distrust of government. So I think, I mean, just even general like a general idea of the government being anti-Christian. I think that was even mm. in there. Um, and then obviously more like a lot of times it's personified in like the aggressive atheists, you know, like, uh, yeah. who are like, uh, Doc, wait, Dawkins, Dawkins and Hitchens. Uh, Hitchens. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. With their, with their works. It's always like, see, yeah. you know, they're yeah. out to there, but they're, uh, they're a particularly unique brand of atheists. They, I mean, they, sure call themselves militant atheists so they have no um (laughs) they have no shame about (laughs) right attacking well that's yeah and i think that's a a little bit of like a forecast of where we're going but it's like a very small percentage of even if you just say atheists in general like a very small percentage of them might be you know anti-christian or whatever but most you know don't really care <laughs> you know like they're, they're not really interested in that mm-hmm. but yeah so it was yeah it was kind of constantly drilled into us um i remember hearing well i think part of this which i don't even know if it's a direction that will go but part of it is like a like an eschatological obsession type thing where it's like mm-hmm. you know the world hates us and it's all going to culminate like i remember hearing like my small group leader as a teenager talk about like yeah they just found like this big cargo boat full of like guillotines that are coming over to america and like the way he interpreted it was like like the end times are coming they're gonna be like you know executing christians or whatever and it's like oh yeah like i have no idea where he got that info (laughs) i think it was one of those where like my friend of a cousin works for the navy or you know something yeah but yeah like like that was something that i heard actually in church obviously not from our pastor but Hmm. like you know I'm a teenager and these are things that I'm being told to watch out for. Um, and then like, you can see it in even like the more recent movies, like God's not dead where the, Mm. once again, it's, it's atheism and not to say that atheism was uh, always the perpetrator, but it was like, you know, an easy, an easy like enemy, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. To have, but like the, you know, the atheist professor is like, I'm going to get you all to sign the God's not dead or God is dead, you know, statement or whatever. And then, you know, the freshman obviously comes in and, you know, proves that he's actually just angry because, you know, something bad happened in his life or right. whatever. Also c- horrible. Cinematic for, straw man. Yeah, exactly. And horrible for college freshmen because nobody likes the guy who tries to stand <laughs> up and try to argue with the professor. <laughs> you don't know anything. You're like 18 or 19. So just let the 60 year old academic talk. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, it was pretty similar to my situation as well. Yeah. Um, growing up, similar and different, obviously in different contexts and whatever. Sure. But uh, yeah, largely the same thing. It was, yeah, Christians against culture, um, that sort of thing. And then, yeah, you, it was, we at least always celebrated like the 4th of July in church and stuff like that. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so it was always uh yeah it was always highlighted you know the the 
the privilege of you know religious liberty and then counterbalance to that was the, the apparently growing reality of of outright christian persecution or persecution against christians right right in the public square in the political square that sort of thing in yeah, universities obviously right that's like the interesting thing because well quick shout out to our uh, last season our was it last season our nationalism versus patriotism podcast mm-hmm. which might be worth looking into yeah. um but yeah it's interesting because it kind of seems like a bit of a paradox because it's like uh, like if we're talking about Christian nationalism, cause it's like, Oh, like America, like, look at us. We're so like, you know, religiously tolerant or whatever. But then at the same time, it's like, Oh, but not towards Christian. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, Oh, there's mm-hmm. this growing intolerance. So yeah. anyway, it's just interesting that it's like, like in one context, it's paraded as a strength of American, you know, which I think it is a genuine strength. Mm-hmm. We're gonna be. But then like, in another context, it's like, oh, but they're actually, you know, attacking us, which I just feel like, is it is it one or is it the other? I don't know. <laughs> maybe we should start off with um, uh, maybe a definition of yeah. just so we're all on the same page of yeah. what we mean when we say Christian or uh, not Christian persecution, but just religious persecution. Yeah. Um, I'm in just doing. Just a, fair, a little bit of research. David T. Smith wrote, um, I don't know if it's a monograph. I think, it, yeah, I think it might just be a monograph um, titled Religious Persecution and Political Order in the United States. And he defines religious persecution as, quote, violence or discrimination against members of our religious minority because of their religious affiliation. And specifically, he's referring to, quote, actions that are intended to deprive individuals of their political rights and to force minorities to assimilate, leave, or live as second-class citizens. Sure. I mean, I guess the first thing that pops into my head is by including, like, minorities as, like, contingent in the definition. Mm -hmm. You're excluding Protestant evangelical or just Protestant christianity let's just say in america you're excluding at least in that. america yeah yeah you're excluding that from the like they can't be persecuted essentially by that definition yeah. right they would they would be the majority yeah which i think is yeah i think i mean that's an interesting i don't know what do you think about that yeah well his <laughs> so yeah religious minority i would agree with you protestant evangelicalism certainly does not fall under that it's right. uh, even if the n- the numbers i haven't taken a look at the you know the specific numbers but sure it's pretty well established that america is growing more and more not only ethnically diverse but religiously diverse because of its growing ethnic diversity as sure. well yeah. um and so uh, yeah w- i can see obviously a change in both of those fronts but not to the point where Protestant evangelicalism has become a minority, a sure. religious minority. I'd say maybe there's been a decentering of that, but sure. it's not so much that um, that Protestant evangelical numbers have declined drastically so much as it is maybe other. Uh, people of religious of different religious affiliations have increased sure, exponentially right. right no yeah that that makes sense well one thing because yeah i like you i was 
kind of just getting ready for some definitions when it comes to this issue. But the thing that I actually looked up was like the definition of discriminate. Cause a lot of times there was like these, the words discriminate and then like persecute were associated, especially in like the United States. Mm-hmm. So obviously, I mean, we'll talk about this, I think later, but obviously there's like, you know, physical persecution against Christians in other countries. We mentioned it in the intro even. Um, but you know, obviously here in the United States, we don't have that as much. So then like, uh, like the word discriminate is a lot of times like uh, even equalized to persecute. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Which is the thing. So I, yeah, so I'll just, I looked up discriminate just to, and if we're just talking about dictionary definitions, there was two that popped up right away. One is just recognize a distinction. So there's no like, you know, negative baggage to that. And then the second one, which I think is more present in the, you know, the popular mind is like, a long way of saying like an unjust distinction, you know, made by mm. race or ethnicity or religion or whatever. Um, and yeah, I guess like to me, like the example a lot of times is like employment. So like we are a good example to depict discriminate is employment. So like we discriminate when we're hiring somebody, um, we discriminate everything. So like we make distinctions between candidates, right? So we right. discriminate based on experience or education skills skills yeah yeah technical experience whatever it is um but then you know our laws that we've written into law says you're not allowed so you can discriminate on those things but you're not allowed to discriminate on you know race sex religion you know whatever Mm -hmm. but then there's also like uh so i think one of the the things that i often hear is like oh they're going to get rid of religious freedoms to like, like discriminate who you hire. Cause there are exceptions for religious institutions, which I looked this up, which was interesting. So title seven is the, I guess the, I don't know. What is a title? What does it mean when it's a title? Is that a, that's not an amendment. It's like a, I don't know. Anyway, title seven, <laughs> it's like title nine, but two less <laughs> anyway. But basically it just lets like religious institutions, whose purpose is primarily religious. So it can't be like a, Mm. you know, Chick-fil-A or whatever. Uh, But like if the purpose is primarily religious, like a church or a a religious educational institution, then they can discriminate based on religion. Um, And even more so with with like ministerial uh, employment, like there's almost no, uh, there's no oversight from the government because they want to keep the separation of church and state. Sure. So they don't want to. They don't want to be in the establishment of whoever's in charge of these, mm-hmm. uh, of like religious institutions, which is interesting. Anyway, all that to say, I think it's just helpful to have that distinction. I I like looked into this stuff and I was like, I don't know if we're ever even going to talk about this. But when you start getting into definitions, I think it'll be helpful to say. I guess to me, the way I differentiate is that persecution is like I guess like a physical discrimination can lead to persecution i think but it's a more like physical reality in which like the laws are changed and there's like outward you know what i'm saying like aggression mm-hmm. anyway so that's all i would say i don't know what mm. do you think about that no i yeah there is in my mind um yeah definitely a a a stark line of differentiation between um what I would may, may what maybe some people would even call oppression or suppression or whatever, and outright persecution. 
um, persecution and maybe even martyrdom. I, I would I would lump those in to that side of the line as sure. as similar more similar to each other. Yeah, there's a physical aspect, there's a corporeal aspect to that kind of aggression against a religious um, minority or you know a religious group um, that is different from um, yeah flagging social media posts. Sure. Or um what what is the flagging social media posts i don't know too much about that well like and (laughs) so some posts i guess i i've heard from from certain folks yeah from (laughs) the grapevine um yeah that their posts were taken down because of uh uh, supposed um the supposed breaks from community standard guidelines Sure. Um, on a social media platform or whatever sure um and it was a religious thing or um or something something that came from a religious belief like a sure. like a political stance or um ideological sure. stance that came from a political sure. or theological belief well i feel like that's kind of the catch that we sometimes get into is that like in america the like i guess someone's Christian belief and then like, for instance, their political affiliation or like their, like we said in the the previous seasons podcast, like their nationalism, you know what I mean? Like being an American Mm -hmm. is so connected with being a Christian for some of these communities that Mm -hmm. it's like, like weirdly it can't be separated. You know what I'm Mm -hmm. saying? That's a a podcast in and of itself. (laughs) One that we kind of did (laughs) last season. Um, I mean, it just adds to the complexity of it, I guess. Yeah, America is such a different beast when compared to just even studying religious persecution, um, or if you want to narrow it down, Christian persecution across the world. Um, one, because it was founded on th- this idea that the government was g- gonna ex- uh, to impose one, you know, religious belief over the other, um, and then. Yeah, just the whole idea of religious liberty that's been woven into the American ethos. Sure. Um, it, it's so different from other countries and regimes um, around the world. Uh, there's an organization called Open Doors, uh, and they release a um, what they call a world watch list. And it's a Christian organization. Basically, they just track where it's the most difficult for someone to live as a Christian. Um, and they they release this world watch list of, uh, I can't remember how many countries, 50 countries, I think. Yeah, uh, top 50 countries to, um, to, yeah, to watch and, and for Christians especially to, to pray about for, you know, cr- brothers and sisters who are living in those countries experiencing sure. persecution. The top five are North Korea, Afghanistan, Somalia, Libya, and Pakistan. America does not even fall on the list of the top 50 <laughs> yeah. countries. Right. Um, I mean, and just for good reason. <laughs> yeah. And it's really interesting though, just looking at that, the data that they, that they did in this overview document, there are a couple, couple of trends that I saw from that. One is, um, and this actually, I don't think is, I, I noticed, I don't think I noticed this specifically from this one, but, 
um, religious persecution is often tied to the persecution of ethnic minorities uh, as well. Sure. So think of the Uyghurs uh, in China, right? The sure. most small Muslim population, but they consider themselves um, a, a separate ethnic group. Um, sure. And so it's a, obviously a minority compared right. to the rest of, uh, you know, mainland China. Um, so that's one, you know, example of that. Um, right. But they, those two are often very much tied together. Connected, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then these next two are specifically from the World Watch List. Um, one is that Christian, uh, sorry, countries where Christians are persecuted have a main religion that's something other than Christianity. Or sometimes Christianity is also a main religion in conjunction to, you know, one other religion. Sure. Right. So, for example, the, the top cr- country um, that's facing extreme persecution that they list is North Korea. Uh, population of 20 over 25 million people and the christian uh sorry not not the christian population but the main religion they list as agnosticism sure um and so the and then the the other um you know the, the other side of that coin then is that the christian population is very small sometimes only hundreds of people so in countries where Christianity is also a main religion as well, the Christian population is still less than 50%. Sure. So taking North Korea, again, as an example, in a country of, of 20, over 25 million people, only 400,000 by Open Doors estimate, by that organization's estimate, only 400,000 are Christian. So that's 1.5%. Right, right. Or take Afghanistan total of 38 million people but literally in their document it says a small number is the (laughs) christian population like so we don't even know yeah right Uh, somalia it's only hundreds of people from the 16 million in that country sure and the main religion in both of those countries in afghanistan and somalia is islam sure so for those countries on the world watch list who are experiencing you know extreme levels of persecution man uh, america doesn't even compare to that right right christianity is still in large part if not the majority religion then it still has it still holds cultural sway ideological sway even if it's not theological sure right um and yeah and and america doesn't really have a main religion or a state religion Really, it divests itself of religious claims, at least governmentally. So what I'm hearing is that extreme persecution or just even persecution in general happens when, you know, Christians are a small minority of the population, which a lot of times also correlates with like an ethnic group mm-hmm. who, who are the Christians. 
I mean, I guess to me that just like it makes perfect sense. I mean, that's what we see just like throughout history. You know what I mean? Mm. You know, whoever's in power. I mean, the hope is that they handle that well, but the reality is that they don't a lot of times. Mm. And I guess that's where, you know, part of what I want to do here as well is just remember, uh, remember uh, the history of America and the, um, I guess the persecution that Christ- American Christians have levied on, on other people. Um, and once again, it, it sometimes is associated with uh, like ethnic uh, groups. So, I mean, just like, this is an easy one, but just like the, um, the, I guess the aggression and I guess genocide is what you should call it of like, you know, native American tribes, you know, the heathens who are in the promised land when we get here. You know what I mean? I mean, that's, <laughs> it might not be primarily, uh, religiously motivated, mm-hmm. but it still is like religiously justified. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So that, to me, it's like, well, that's like persecution levied by Christians in America towards mm-hmm. another group. Well, it, it's 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 really interesting because in there is a clear example of the of the connection between ethnic, I, I guess, ethnic identity and uh, or, or maybe even national identity and faith right so the these europeans brought over um you know christianity and and they you know you you hear all these stories of missionary endeavors to the native populations and they converted a large number of them but when they did they took on what they called christian names Mm. which they weren't hebrew or greek they were anglicized names Mm. (laughs) Right. Um, so there's that connection there as well as they, they, yeah, along with the, con, you know, religious conversion, it was also a cultural conversion. Right. That well, that's happened. what, it almost seems like that's the more important thing. Like mm-hmm. the religious conversion is kind of how you get there. But like what, you know, if, I, I don't know, I'm sure this didn't happen, but you know, if, uh a native American, you know, converted to Christianity, but wanted to keep like, or like, you know, practice and uh, worship with their customs. Like, I'm sure that wouldn't have flown. Mm -hmm. It would be, you know, like heretical or whatever. Mm -hmm. So that's where it's, yeah. Like the, the religious conversion and the cultural conversion are in inextricably linked. Like they Mm -hmm. they can't be separated. Yeah. Which, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's just like one example. I mean, there's more, um, in 1844, there was a Catholic town in, or I think around Philadelphia. I don't think it was Philadelphia itself, but where the whole town was burned and, you know, not all, but many of the inhabitants were killed. Uh, the Mormon Wars, which I feel like we, like, oh. in my brain, the Mormons are just like, you know, weird, not that they're Christians, but like, you know, weird sort of Christian people <laughs> out in Utah and such. Uh, but like, people died in that and they literally had to flee up to Illinois Mm -hmm. and then out to Utah later. Um, I mean, you could even say like the, like the spiritual traditions of the slaves who came over, um, from various African like nations, like those were eliminated, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, and, and weren't allowed to be practiced. And yeah, so that's where we, we do, uh, I think it was Thomas Jefferson who said, uh, you know, like this religious liberty is like a great, like ideal. And it's good that it's in law. I'm paraphrasing. It's good that it's in law, but in practice, it's like, you know, really hard to not 
mm-hmm. you know, essentially persecute. I, I'm adding my words to his, but essentially it's hard not to, you know, not to discriminate via religious yeah. affiliations. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, even so, I mean, once again, this is a, it might not be primarily religiously motivated, but like the Ku Klux Klan is Protestant. I mean, once again, it's more racially motivated, but it's like religiously justified mm-hmm. and at least in their minds. So that's where it's, I think, and I'm not doing this just a, a lot of people, they hear these things and they're like, oh, like just because, you know, you're shaming us or whatever so that we don't speak out about our rights. It has nothing to do with that. Mostly it's, if we have an, an idea of our history uh, and how, you know, white Protestant Christians have contributed to actual religious persecution in like, in the form of killing people and, mm-hmm. you know, what we would think of when we think of persecution. I think it just gains, we gain a perspective that helps position us within a, a growing uh, diversity in our country of, you know, religious thought, like a more pluralist society which is that's what that's what we're becoming you know whether we like it or not um as old as old james dobson said we lost the culture war (laughs) so that's i mean that's the truth of the matter is Mm -hmm. you know it is christianity as far as like power and numbers is waning um but it's not so much yeah it's it's one of those things where it's it's such a mentality that the american church has gone itself into um where it because again like as i was saying earlier more and more people of diverse religious backgrounds are coming into the country and Mm -hmm. are actually practicing those beliefs the religious faith that was once the majority because i mean that's what the original you know settlers that that was their religious background, whether or not they held firmly to those, you know, sure. theological tenets, regardless sure. of that, it was a cultural milieu in which they were raised. And that's what this country was very much founded on. Sure. Um, and so when you get that as the, the foundation for, you know, generations, and then as America begins to open up and open its doors to, you know, non-Western countries they're bringing their faiths with them and their practices with them and so what you get then isn't so much a war against the majority faith but it's just perhaps a decentering sure sure right Right. because it's it's not in the it's not in the spotlight uh, anymore it's not it's not the only kid on the playground (laughs) right well that's where some of these some of these like instances of I don't know if you even want to call it persecution, but I think people will say like the, you know, the first signs of persecution or whatever, like the, um, like the prayer in schools. And I mean, to be, to be straight with everyone, just to make sure everyone understands what I'm talking about. It's not that people can't pray in schools. Students can pray in schools. (laughs) I prayed in school all growing up when I ate my lunch. No retribution happened. (laughs) So prayer in schools is actually allowed. It's just not to be led in an official manner by a school official. So mm-hmm. that's like, so that, um, you know, kind of some of this, like the war on Christmas thing where, you know, no, they're not saying Christmas anymore in Target or whatever. Like, so these things are actually, um, yeah, if we're going to talk about like uh, aggressions towards, you know, religions in the wider society, 
it's actually like an aggression towards other religions if we are leading a like public prayer in a mm-hmm. public school. You know what I mean? Because it's there are people who don't ascribe to that. Yeah. So if why would they, why right. would they have to participate? <laughs> right. If if we're gonna take David Smith's definition, right, of those actions are intended to deprive individuals of their, uh, you know, political rights and to force minorities to assimilate leave or live as second-class citizens then forced prayer in public schools right is an action to force assimilation is it not literal persecution yeah according so by that definition definition, prayer in schools would actually be a form of religious persecution right so that's where it's it's actually furthering the cause of liberty because anybody they can still pray right but they can do their own you know whatever prayer looks like in there yeah Taking uh, taking God out of the society is another one of those those things that I sure. hear, right? So like the taking God, uh, taking the phrase out, uh, sorry, taking the phrase in God we trust out of mm. currency or sure. mottos or whatever. P- people act like that's been the nation's motto or on currency since its foundation. Sure. That phrase was not adopted as the U- uh, the official U.S. motto until 1956, Oh, wow. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. And, and get this. Part of the reason for its inclusion on currency and, you know, putting it as the national mo- motto yeah. was that during the Cold War, it was an attempt to distinguish the U.S. from Soviet Russia, which promoted atheism. <laughs> right. So it's just a reaction so, to another country. It's a political ploy. <laughs> yeah. Not a... A theological theologically statement. rooted right. statement. So, for yeah. me, it's like, man, I will trust God whether or not it's on my dollar bill, whether or not the rest of the nation sure. <laughs> holds it up as its motto. one like so one question i think is worth answering going you know going from these things uh, if we're saying that you know persecution as a whole is not something that the american church is experiencing um more so a a loss of like you know i guess power would be the would be the term um you know if that's the case then what what is leading to this idea that a lot of, once again, I grew up with the idea, and I think a lot of Christians have of, you know, this culture is against us, this, you know, government is against us, and, you know, that kind, that kind of thing. Like, why is it easy for the American church to take on this persecution complex? Exactly. That's right. Wow, you stated it so much more elegantly than I. Anyway. <laughs> no, I got that from you. I'm just quoting you. Oh, oh perfect. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think, so I think a part of it actually comes with how we like read the Bible, which here's the thing. The Bible was written by groups who were under the thumb a lot of, a lot of the time, not all the time, but a lot of the time under the thumb of oppressors, Um, you know, Babylon, uh, Rome. So big swaths of 
biblical literature are written from a position of persecution, uh, whether that's the Old Testament or the New Testament. And so I think, um, you know, kind of in reading the Bible literally with quotes around the literally, we adopt this kind of victim identity. So it's like, okay, you know, uh, Christ tells us or Paul tells us, you know, the world's going to hate us, um, you know, and that there's suffering that's like going to come. And then we're living out, you know, in our suburban lives and, you know, everything's pretty good. I'm not experiencing any, <laughs> any, you know, no one's trying to attack me and I'd go to church and enjoy it, you know, listen to the sermon. Not much is happening. So it's like, wait a second, you know, like there has to be, you know, some sort of suffering that I'm going through. And so I think, I think sometimes this loss of power that we've talked about where, you know, the in God we trust is being removed, um, you know, prayer in public schools, you know, all the things that we've talked about. It's a way for Christians to go, ah, see, like we are persecuted. There is suffering that we're going through. Like we are true, you know, true believers and, and true Christians, that kind of a thing. And what they're missing is that a lot of these, these statements about suffering coming and that kind of a thing, uh, it's actually to reassure Christians and the people of God that God is with them even amidst their suffering. So mm-hmm. it's not about, um, you know, the world is going to actively hate you and, and push you down. It's just saying that when these things do come, know that, you know, God hasn't abandoned you and you're not, you know, you're not in this alone. Mm-hmm. So it's more of a reassurance of people in suffering rather yeah. than an identity marker of, you know, how Christians like Christians are always suffering at all times. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. And you see that all over, even the, in, in the Hebrew scriptures, right? The whole concept of the day of the Lord where, uh, you know, God's people are, are actually oppressed and under the, the, like you were saying, under the feet of these regimes that are oppressing them. The day of the Lord was this common theme that was woven throughout prophetic literature, basically as an encouragement, Hey, the God who called you as his people is faithful to bring about justice for the injustice that you're experiencing right sure. now. Sure. And so it was a thing of it. Yeah, it was, it was meant to encourage them. Um, and, and I think you're right. There's a, there's a confirmation bias there of, mm. uh, because you read these biblical texts. I mean, Jesus said it in John, uh, was it 16 or 17, right? Sure. In this world, in this life, you will have tribulation but fear not i have overcome the world right we focus so much on in this world we're going to have tribulation and that's what christians focus on sure but if you look at the other half of that statement it was jesus contending with the reality of what they his disciples were going to walk through Mm. in their lives but as the hebrew scriptures before him professed he's already overcome it and he's right. with them through that, right? So I think we miss the mark when we focus on, right? On on, yeah, the the tribulation part of things, right. and, and look for that, right? For sure, yeah. It's that's where it's like suffering isn't a a defining attribute of Christians. It's just that in that suffering we can know that you know Christ and and God is with us. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's interesting that you bring up the day of the Lord, uh, because. Uh, in Amos, he taught uh, the prophet Amos in the Old Testament. The Israelites are actually like they're um, they're still in power at this point. Uh, the Northern Kingdom of Israel, um, and they they keep touting, "Oh, the day of the Lord is coming!" You know all this stuff. 
And Amos actually turns it on its head. And it's like, no, you don't understand the day of the Lord. It's not for you. It's for the oppressed and the downtrodden. That's what the day of the Lord is for. So like you're touting, you know, oh, the day of the Lord's going to be glorious when it comes. But really you're the, the people on top, you know, oppressing the poor and vulnerable. And that's who the day of the Lord is for. Mm. So yeah, it's, yeah. All that to say, I think like that's where it comes from, um, which is a, I think a, just a w- indication of kind of wider a biblical misunderstanding, which I think has been uh, kind of hijacked by, you know, this promised land idea of America um, mm-hmm. and, and Americans as the as the you know the promised people or the people of God, um, which in a sense uh, Americans aren't aren't the people of God. Um, it would be the same thing of saying you know Romans are the people of God, <laughs> you know. Not to say that Romans can't aren't a part of the people of God, and you know some of them are, but but at the end of the day, America is not Israel, um, and Americans are not by definition the people of God. Uh, so I think when we transplant that idea onto the Bible, that's where uh, some of this uh, some of this idea that we're we're persecuted, like like the people of God were persecuted mm-hmm. um, in in the scriptures. So mm-hmm. you know the Israelites in the Old Testament and the Christians in the New Testament. I think is a a grave mistake that leads mm-hmm. to leads to this kind of a thinking mm-hmm. or this kind of thinking. Yeah, the downfall of trying to read yourself into the story. Right. Um, yeah. That's uh, that's a tension because you know, you don't want people cuz I've heard it said a lot that the Bible is, you know, it's written to Christians. And it's like, well, yes, but also no. <laughs> so it is in the sense of, you know, this is our um our inspired, you know, I guess holy book would be the secular way to say it, but you know, it's our inspired scripture. We believe it's the word of God. Um, so in that sense, it is for us, but also in another sense, it was not written directly to us. Mm-hmm. Um, it was written to, you know, physical, real communities. Yeah. Um, you know, whether that was in the old Testament era or new Testament era. Yeah. I can't tell uh, you how many times I heard growing up, you know, this is God's love letter to you. You should read it every day. Sure. And then you, and then you grow up and, go to Bible college and it's like, that's a, that's a pretty arrogant thing to say. Cause <laughs> yeah. What did the Hebrew scriptures mean to an exiled community then if it was written to me eventually? Right. Like God <laughs> right. didn't care about those people in exile. He was thinking about me. Y- yikes. Well, that's where, I mean, this is a wider biblical interpretation thing, which maybe we won't go into too much, but the idea that we we have to be accountable to the culture in which the Bible was written in. Uh, it's the same idea of you can't understand like a news article from today's world without having some sort of context of today's world. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You you might really misunderstand it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's just a, with us being Bible, Bible <laughs> nerds, that's just one thing to think about is, you know, what does this actually mean in its original culture? Yeah. Um, and that's, that's the whole point of biblical studies is to try to get at. Uh, get at that from differing angles uh, people will take differing approaches to that but yeah yeah my pastor says uh, in his sermon you can't make it mean now what it didn't mean back then absolutely pretty good rule of thumb <laughs> absolutely <laughs> truly yeah I, I i think too the um i was having a conversation with my brother-in-law shout out to izzy um but hey izzy we were just talking about um, yeah, just this this topic about why it's easy for Christians in America to to be 
this might this might step on some toes, but be hypersensitive about every little thing and call it and label it oppression or sure. persecution. Right. Um, and he brought up a really good point where maybe it's because we've, maybe it's because, and I'm paraphrasing his, his thoughts, but sure. um, because the people in, for example, North, the Christians in North Korea or Afghanistan or Somalia have grown up in the milieu of persecution that's all they know Mm. and so for them it is a it is an everyday occurrence to be fearful for one's life because of their their faith whereas here the cultural milieu that if especially if you've grown up in the church as the two of us have Mm -hmm. all you've known is um, is your, your your church and then cultural Christianity um, at you know at another level, right? Sure. And so when you experience things that you know quote unquote threaten that cultural Christianity or or the you know the ideology that stems from theological belief, sure. You you don't have any standards. I guess by which to say, oh, now I'm being persecuted. Sure. If, to you, this this feels like persecution because you have no, you have nothing else to com to sure. compare this. You know, as you would say, you've mentioned before about this kind of sense of loss of power. Right, right, right. And so I think that's 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 something really important to take into account as well because, again, obviously, like I was saying earlier, the the kind of you know quote-unquote persecution or bias probably more is a better term is, sure. is different in america so is our mentality as christians yeah no i think that's right on well that reminds me of a quote from science mike mccarg which is basically like the uh if you've had the ability to swing your arms around um you know wildly and maybe it's like struck people in the face and you've had that freedom for years and years and then it's taken away and it's like, no, you can't wave your arms around and smack people in the face anymore. Like, you're not allowed to do that because it feels like a loss. Because like, well, I have, you know, I've been doing that, so I should be able to keep doing it. Which I think plays into your, I guess the changes in our culture feel like persecution. Whereas I think, you know, someone who's actually living under under the thumb of religious persecution, um, they wouldn't even understand what we meant by that, by persecution mm-hmm. in America. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, now this is well, this isn't to sorry just just as a disclaimer and maybe I should have said this at the beginning this isn't to say that there isn't real bias specifically against Christians sure right sure, sure. I there have been people that I've had conversations who conversations with and they've experienced real bias against them sure. because of their faith but it's well, not coming from but the, the majority of those cases aren't coming from a governmental, uh, it, they're not coming from the state. For, um, for sure, for sure. You know what I mean? And so, again, that's not to deny that there's any bias, but it's not yeah. overwhelming. It's not a systematic thing like we see in other countries. Sure. Well, that's what, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't remember the exact reference to this, but in my research for this, I came across like a stat that said uh, like 32% of the American population like uh, views Protestant Christians negatively, um, but then it was it was connected with thirty one percent of the American population uh, views 
um, people of Islamic faith uh, mm. negatively. So it's yeah. like, you know, there's there's definitely going to be people who are anti, you know, just like we said, even at the beginning with, uh, with some of those more aggressive atheists. Um, like, obviously, there's going to be people who, who take issue with literally any group, uh, Christians included. But it doesn't necessarily mean that that's, I guess there's a difference between uh, kind of social bias and then like systemic persecution. Yeah. You know what I mean yeah. by this yeah. by the state? Yeah, I'd say the majority of people just don't care one right. way or the other what you believe. They just don't want you imposing your beliefs right. on other people or them. Sure, sure, right, right. Which is, I mean that that is the. Um, I guess a defining attribute of a pluralist society, you know what I mean? Yeah. Which is what America is becoming. Yeah. Um, and I don't even say that in a negative way. It's just for better or for worse. Um, obviously, That's our like, reality. Place, yeah. Places like Asia have been pluralistic for, you know, centuries, I guess. Um, so it's, it's not like God's purpose is not going to be thwarted by a pluralist society. I think, and I think that's where the issue with me is that, uh, Christians sometimes in my experience die on the hill of we need to protect our rights um, and you know win the culture war and all these things but I personally think that that does a lot more damage than it does uh, help as far as the kingdom of God is concerned um, mm -hmm. yeah I think it one just sends a an incorrect message about what I guess it doesn't align with Christ's message. Um, you know, it's more about maintaining control of a society than it is about, you know, actually um, teaching people the way of Jesus or demonstrating that ourselves, which what did Jesus do as our exemplar? Um, you know, he went to the cross and sacrificed. He had, he sacrificed all of his rights, even as becoming a human. Mm -hmm. um, so that's where, not to say that we can't point out injustices that happen towards Christians. I mean, I even think maybe this is too personal and you don't want to say this, but in looking at some schools, you even interacting with some of the professors who take on PhD students, uh, some were even, you know, they didn't necessarily like to uh, take any students who, who were from any faith, um, mm. which is, I mean, that, that is a form of bias. You know what I mean? So, so these things do happen. Um, but in the end, yeah, I, I think it's more important that we stay true to the message, Jesus's message, which is, you know, laying down our, our rights and powers for the good of others. Yeah. Um, not to say once again, that you can't point out injustice towards Christians, um, but that we should focus more so on the injustice that we commit, especially in America. Cause I would say there are far more injustices that the white evangelical church in America needs to repent of than there are that they need to be saved from. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I think there's, there's much more that we need to, you know, change than, uh, than that, you know, we're the victims who, who need other, you know, who need outside help. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. That's all I would say. Yeah. Well, well, what do you say then to this idea that we're in the early phase of what will eventually end in the persecution that we see in other countries? I've heard some people say, you know, the, uh, Nazi Germany didn't go from one day not persecuting Jews sure. to, you know, the next day, the Holocaust. Sure. That it was a slow progression. What do you sure. think about that? Well, I mean, that's a, that example specifically is interesting because 
Germany had a long history of anti-Semitism. So it's not like it's not like what the Holocaust came out of nowhere. They're right in saying that because even even Martin Luther, who was kind of their, uh, I don't know, I'm trying to, th- he's kind of their George Washington. Like he was, you know, very much made modern Germany in right. large part the way it is. He had, right. At least had a good, ch- you know, deal of responsibility. Sure. Which that's what, and he was obviously had many anti-Semitic things to write about. You look at some of the, uh, just even some of the theologians and and biblical scholars of Germany in the late, uh, I guess that would be late 19th, early 20th century. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So some of those German scholars are even, you know, having anti-Semitic sentiments. So I don't, I don't think that that comes out of nowhere, but I also think what we have in America is not that, you know what I'm saying? It's to me, it's nowhere near that. Um, yeah. And once again, I think it's because the fundamental difference is that, for instance, if we're taking the Holocaust as a comparative thing, which I think is ridiculous, but, um, I don't know if it was a, I don't know if it was a comparison, but as an example of things not just turning, you know, you know, in a day. Right. Of the slow change, which I think is fair. Um, I guess if we're using it as a comparison though, the Jewish people were never in a position of power in Germany. I mean, or in Europe for that matter. You know what I'm yeah, saying? They were still a religious and ethnic minority. Minority. Two things which we pointed exactly. out earlier. Which is, and that's what nationalism a lot of times does is victimizes a minority, um, you know, and, uh, or scapegoats a minority as the reason for the problems of the country, which obviously for, for world war two, it was coming off world war one. Germany was, was really struggling, uh, under reparations and that kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so Jews were then scapegoated. Yeah. So Amer- like American Christianity is it's it's like apples and oranges too. That's what yeah, I think yeah. I mean at least with that description or with that uh with that comparison I think it's such a a different situation that it mm-hmm. it doesn't even make sense really to compare it to that. Yeah. Um, I yeah, I, I think I I agree with you. It's it's just so it's just so different because Christianity has enjoyed a seat of religious and cultural power in the right. U.S. for better or for worse. Right. Um, yeah. I think a closer, which I have not been to Europe, so this is all hearsay. But from what I hear, like a lot of the European countries aren't are pretty, you know, secularized. Which, once again, I don't know if that's all the way true, but um, I mean that I feel like is a maybe a if we're going to make parallels, that seems like a better parallel where it's more post-Christian. It's not anti-Christian. Mm-hmm. It's just, um, which a lot of people say America is now post, you know, post-Christian, um, where it's more so, you know, Christianity is still kind of a, a relic of the culture and, uh, an illustration, you know, a, a story that still is in the minds of the populace. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't necessarily, you know, determine policy and yeah. uh, and that kind of a thing. Yeah, let's let's remember too that the Roman Empire at one point was a Christian empire. Sure. Um, Very true. And and that had its its downfall. And just because you know the Christianity held a, a seat of power did not mean everything was, you know, right was right as a day. In, For sure. in parts of the Roman Empire, so I let's mean, not let's not glorify the, you know, the. Let's not make it 
seem like, oh, if we can just gain cultural superiority again or gain a seat of power or again, have right. a seat at the table, everything would be, you know, right with this country. Let's, history has proven that's, that's not the case. Right. Yeah, no, I think, I mean, there's been multiple attempts to create a, like a Christian society and, you know, we, we haven't experienced utopia yet, so they're all failed experiments. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, I mean, we, I said it in the, mentioned it in the previous episode, but let's not rush into living out an over-realized eschatology. Absolutely. Yeah, so I think all, all that to say, yeah, I think we should just focus our attention. You know, this whole idea of Christian persecution, once again, not to say that there's not instances, uh, but obviously comparatively to Christians around the globe, you know, we're not experiencing much here here in America. I think that the focus should be more so on, I guess, internal refinement <laughs> rather than external, you know, political or policy changes that protect Christian, you know, institutions or power. Mm-hmm. That's a, an idea. I guess I get that idea from how I understand the kingdom of God and, and Jesus's message, uh, which mm-hmm. is, you know, self-sacrifice for the good of the other. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's all no. I would say. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, maybe yeah, as we bring things to a close, um, the w- one example that I can think of in the New Testament is man, I can't um, can't remember the details. I haven't read the account in a while, but one congregation was experiencing famine, and so I think I can't remember if it was a church in Jerusalem or not, um, but the church from other cities pulled together their resources to send to that church. Um, it's in, I think it's an act somewhere. Or something, yeah. Well, that's right? part of a lot of Paul's ministry with like his, his, in his epistles, a lot of it is like mm-hmm. coming to collect, you know, your gift to the, right. To the church in Jerusalem. Yeah, exactly. And so just using that as a model, right. These churches were experiencing pockets of persecution on their own. Sure. Right. And it's not like the Christians in Jerusalem where Judaism was headquartered was not experiencing any right. religious persecution there. And on top of that, just the the sustenance issue that they were experiencing. Sure. But what was Paul focused on? Not the holding on of onto of rights, not the fighting for liberty to practice your faith, right? but it was to support your brothers and sisters. I think when we when we try to hog, I'm going to use this phrase, I'm, when we try to hog the persecution spotlight, mm-hmm. it does a disservice to our brothers and sisters in the faith in North Korea, in sure. Libya, in Afghanistan, in Nigeria, who are experiencing literally every day the threat on their lives because sure. of their faith. Let's not do that. Yeah, so, absolutely. you know, call it bias, call it suppression, whatever, but let's, let's be hesitant to use and label what we're experiencing in America persecution out of even just respect for what our brothers and sisters are facing overseas. Um, but, and at the, you know, at the flip side of that, man, pray, for our brothers and sisters mm. who the data shows are dying because mm. of their faith. Well, and what, what a witness that would be if, you know, 
the church could bond together across national lines, you know, across ethnic lines. That's, you know, that's the, that's the vision that we see even of the, of the church in revelation of, you know, all different, you know, peoples. Um, Mm -hmm. So I just think that, you know, even the perception of Christians could improve, uh, you know, if we did drop some of these, you know, uh, to me, frivolous issues on, you know, you know, rights and, and bias and that kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, as you say, you know, care for our brothers and sisters who are under persecution. Um, and even, you know, those who, who aren't Christian who are under persecution as well. So I guess, yeah, that's that's really what I would say. Well, yeah, I think that's a, that's a good place to land. I don't have any other thoughts. We got a little preach, preachy there at the end. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thanks for listening. Um, Yeah, appreciate it as always. Yeah, if you'd like to support us financially, you can do that on Patreon. Uh, It's just www.patreon.com slash questions from the pew. If you can't support us financially, please give us a good rating or review on iTunes or whatever platform you're listening on, and that will help others find our podcast. Also, please comment and ask questions. Leave us a short voice message or text message at 312 seven two five two nine nine five as a reminder some of those we might save until the final uh, question and response um, episode that we sometimes like to have so yeah send in those questions this has been questions from the pew a podcast in the world outspoken network to learn more about world outspoken and its mission to prepare the mestizo church for cultural change visit www.worldoutspoken.com for questions from the pew I'm Riker Zalameta. I'm Lucas Manning. We'll see you next time. Bye.